Let me tell you about Last Out Media. Last Out Media is a podcast studio located just over an hour away from the New York area. It has professional equipment, engineers, and coaches that'll make your show sound amazing. In fact, I'm recording from there right now. So if you want to improve your podcast, visit lastoutmedia.com. Coming up on New York Groove, the Yankees, they're beyond confusing. The Mets keep on winning, but their real test will be this weekend versus the Padres. The Nets, they're going to face the Bucks in a pivotal round two series. The Islanders are going to head to the Coliseum back tied at one. We got to discuss where the Knicks are going to go from here in the offseason and on fat percentage, the best restaurant I've ever been to. All coming up next on New York Groove. Awful ending to the Knicks year. Have you realized that, New York? Welcome to episode three of New York Groove. The song, Christine 16 by Kiss, which has weird, weird meanings behind that song. But anyway. (laughs) I have questions about the title. We'll get into that later. The Knicks season. It's so hard the way I want to feel about that season because it was so much fun. There was so much fun in the season and there was so much going on and it was so unexpected and they went so above and beyond their expectations. And then, ugh, the way it ended was just, how can you feel good after that? So we're going to get into what the Knicks need to do, how they're going to get into the rest of their offseason and what the plan should be and what it needs to be for you to have optimism as a Knicks fan. We also have, but there's a lot to get into because New York sports is so much going on. The Islanders are coming back for game three at the Coliseum tonight, which is going to be massive for them against the Bruins. I don't think they can stop the Bruins, but again, we'll discuss because maybe they can. The Yankees are in a weird spot. The Mets are in a weird spot. And and that's where I want to lead off is with baseball. The Yankees are in this really weird position where you get swept by the Tigers last week, and then you come home to play the Rays and you seem to not be able to lose to the Rays, where the Rays were this team for the longest time that had your number. They were the team that you could not seem to beat, and no matter when you played them, who you throw on the mound, it didn't matter. The Rays were going to beat you. The Rays seemed to have the formula to beat the Yankees, and now it's kind of twisted. Now the Yankees are finding a way to win games. The Yankees are finding ways to piece together beating this Rays team that was hot as hell coming in. Here's the problem, though. None of these games still are convincing wins. None of them are winning the way the Yankees are built to win. And that's a problem for me. Starting pitching is still the way you're winning games to the Yankees, and you're not built to win games like that, which is weird for me. And just to bring this up from the other night, if you saw Clint Frazier's walk-off, the balls are definitely dead in this year. I don't know if you've realized that watching baseball. The balls are dead in this year. Because if you watch Clint Frazier, the way Clint Frazier hit that ball in the 11th inning... He hit the piss out of the ball and it landed in the first row. And now he was super cocky for flipping the bat and and walking and staring at it and everything like that. The the winning run would have scored anyway because it was on second base. So he was super cocky. But if you just look at the way he hit that baseball, I've seen players hit a ball like that before. And the ball has traveled far, far, far further than that ball traveled the other night. And it landed, this ball ended in the first row. So did it matter? The ball is going to hit the wall anyway, and the runner on second is going to score anyway. So I don't really care that he was showboating necessarily. I more care that it's becoming blatantly obvious that baseball is tankering with the balls. And just stop. Baseball's got so many problems. And I really didn't want to get into this today. But home runs are better for the sport than worse. 
I don't know how a little kid right now gets into baseball the way I did. I have no idea how. But what I can tell you is as a little kid who's going to watch the sport today, they're going to enjoy seeing a ball hit 900 feet as opposed to a strikeout. They just are. So maybe don't deaden the balls, all right? Leave the balls strung a little tighter. Let the balls fly out of the ballpark. Let someone hit 60 home runs. That'll end. If Aaron Judge hits 70 home runs this year, a little boy would enjoy that more than seeing baseballs robbed at the wall or seeing guys need to hit. The, you know what I'm saying, Vince? It's just, they're, they're in a weird spot right now. Stop tankering with the balls. Just leave them alone. Well, they're in a weird spot in every way as a sport. And it's so funny because they can't manage the sport of baseball and they can't manage the baseball itself. They can't, I mean, they really, it's like, okay, well now it's going out of the park too much. It's, 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 it's too much of a, I don't know, a well, live ball. And now it's a dead ball. They just can't, they, they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, but runs are good. Offense is always good for a sport. And I don't think this, it's just, those are the exam. And there's been a couple examples like that this year that we've seen. But like when a guy runs into one, like Clint did the other night in the 11th and it lands in the first row, it's just so obvious to the naked eye. And it's like, I've seen that same ball hit like that a thousand times. And that ball lands 18 rows up. And this one landed in the first row. It's it's one of those things that's weird. But again, the Yankees are in a really weird spot. They just are. It's it they're in one of those positions where you're you're waiting on the Kluber news later today, and you they're gonna have again, like I said last week, they're gonna have to make a deadline move. That there has to be a move this deadline because. They're in one of those spots where it's not happening the way it needs to happen. It's not happening the way it should happen and the way it's planned to happen. Now, would I ax Aaron Boone? I would. That's the move that I would make if you're not going to go out there and make some big grand gest. If you're not going to be willing to trade away the entire farm to get some players to make this better, there's too many holes in this team right now. With Luke Floyd out, they just didn't send Mike Ford down the other day. First base, you're getting zero production. Second base, DJ LeMahieu, you're not getting anywhere near what you thought you were going to get from him. Now, he hasn't been bad, but he certainly hasn't been DJ LeMahieu this year. Shortstop, you're getting no power out of Glaber. Now, he's still hitting. You're getting no power out of him. Third base, Geo's falling off. Catcher, you're getting absolutely nothing from. Center field, you're getting nothing from. Aaron Judge is having one of his best years ever quietly that no one's realizing. And left field, you're getting nothing out of. So there's way too many positions that I just named for you where you're getting zero contribution out of. And... Unless you're going to go out and make some huge splash and go get a bunch of players that are going to help you out, which I can't see them doing, the move is to fire Aaron Boone right now before the All-Star break. Light a fire under their ass. And I know they're beating the Rays right now and they're probably going to come out of this series at 2-2 or 3-1, which would be nice and you take that against a team like Tampa, but they're not playing at the capability they should be. They should be running away with this division. They're far better than the Red Sox. They're better than the Rays. They're better than the Blue Jays and they're, the Orioles don't count as a baseball team. <laughs> so they're far better than they're playing. And that, that to me is an indication on how the manager is handling things. And if, if you need to fire him as a sacrificial lamb to kind of light a spark under these guys' asses, then that's what you need to do. But how do you, how do you feel about this? Do you, is that the right move in your opinion? Or is that something that's a little too harsh at this moment? Well, it, it's still a little bit early in the season. For me, it's still a little bit early in the season, but if they're not going to make any other moves and it gets to a little bit later in the year and they're not where they need to be in the standings, you got to make a push to maybe win the division versus being a wild card team, that kind of thing. Then uh, yeah, they're going to be massive buyers at this deadline. I don't think they have an option. 
They have to be massive buyers. You have to improve the offense. It, it, it's a problem too with deadening the balls, like we were just talking about. When you build a team that's all that's all home run, and then the balls are deadened, it's going to hurt that team a lot, a lot. There's been multiple balls this year that Glaber's hit to the warning track that haven't gone out. That could have to do with the deadened balls. Now I'm not blaming that on his lack of power this year at all, but. There's just a lot with this team, and even when they win games, they're not winning it the way that they were built to win, and that, to me, is concerning. You know, like, if you're built to win games a certain way, and you're running away winning games that way constantly, you you, you understand why you're winning games that way. When you're winning games on little ticky-tack plays and everything, and it's not being won the way the team was built, it's a little bit of a concern. Sustainability is a big thing, because that it's the same way with winning and losing, right? If you're winning and you're hitting the ball out of the park, and that's what you do, Great. But if you're also losing because you're not hitting the ball out of the park and that's what you're built to do, well, then you go, okay, well, that's what they're built to do and they're not doing it. So, yeah, when you're getting the wins in a different way, it's either you re- you misevaluated the roster, like people misevaluated the roster and what it could do, which doesn't seem to be the case. It's just that they're not doing enough of what they're supposed to do. The people who are in Yankee Nation also, who are blaming Cashman the way he built this squad and saying that they need to, you know, ax cash- Cashman ain't going anywhere. That guy has a free pass. He's won five championships, eight pennants. That guy ain't going nowhere. All right. He ain't got that guy has a free pass to stay with this team as long as he wants. Is that is that is that you're an you're an outsider Philly fan. Yeah. From an outside perspective, is that the way you see this? That's well, one of those GMs in, in sports where you can do whatever the hell you want. When you've won enough titles, you get leeway. You get leeway. And, and even though it hasn't been a title in 10 years, he still has they, listen, they still win 90 plus games every season. Like it's not, he's not going to have a 71 year where you can kind of question it. He still wins 90 games a year. Yeah, they're in the ALCS enough. Like there's just, there's enough there that yes, it's not a, a floundering, totally stagnant franchise. He's made big moves that get people excited that make you believe the team's good enough to win a title. So yeah, he's, he's not horrible at the job. They just haven't gotten over the hump. That's them. The, the Mets are more confusing to me. And here's why they're winning games with virtually everybody on the roster hurt. Now, Pete Alonso's been back. That's been better. Alonzo, uh, Lindor still is not hitting. Still. The pitching is great for the Mets. The bullpen has been unbelievable. Uh, Edwin Diaz blew his first save of the year the other night. I mean, who the hell saw that coming? Uh, Familia's been fantastic. May has been better than I think expected. So you've somehow, with the Mets, been able to piece this together and still win. Now, they're playing the Diamondbacks, who are dreadful. But they're still out there winning. That's what's so shocking to me. I don't know if you, how much you paid attention to the NL East this year, but that's a beyond average division. And for them to stay in it and competitive while like 22 guys were out on the I.L., I mean, that's beyond impressive. Well, with the injuries and also just the drama around the team. I mean, there's just been a lot of fuss even before the season. All the stuff with uh, the, the owners was Steve. I want to Steve say Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen. That's it. I almost said Steve Dolan. Yeah, Steve Cohen. So for him, because he was tied up in the whole uh, like it, GameStop stuff. Like there's just like nonsense around the Mets. It is you know? just and, it, and it's just it feels different with the Mets. This is usually the time of the year where it collapses and there's so much optimism around the team. And then all of a sudden it falls apart. And for some reason, there's a lot of optimism optimism around them now they just they're so interesting this year and and they they've been given leeway by the rest of the division because no one else is taking it uh, taking away the Braves are not playing well the Phillies are playing beyond at the Phillies can't field uh, so let's not talk about them they're banned from the show they're beyond average the Marlins are are still like an average team the Nationals are the only team that I see falling off so if the Mets can just stay in this position now the Syndergaard injury is going to hurt 
the fact that he's not going to be back for a while is that's really going to hurt you. And the one more thing on the Mets that I wanted to get into, just just quickly as a tidbit, how did you feel about the uh, the Diamondbacks play by play man's comments about Marcus Stroman? Because the, the, we get into so many issues lately with with with, with race and, and, and things that are said, and for, for for some reason this this one didn't strike me as that way and i think everyone kind of in a sense overreacted had it if you if i need to explain before we get into this if anyone yeah, hasn't heard explain. the story yet the diamondbacks marcus stroman's warming up throwing his warm-up pitches and he wears a do-rag underneath his baseball cap on the field I, I, don't, I don't know why he does that but he does it and the diamondbacks announcer as marcus stroman is warming up says in essence while he's warming up i think that's the same do-rag that tom Seaver wore when he pitched like that and the Mecca, he said it the Tom Seaver thing because they Mets had the Tom Seaver patch on their jersey this year. Now, is that a good comment? Nah. I mean, is it as aggressive and insane as people took it as? Also, nah. So, like, I, I this was so, I think it was just a bad joke. Like, it was just a poorly tasted joke. I don't think it was, people are acting like he, he went at Strowman for something. He just made a bad joke on the air. And now the Diamondbacks made him come out and publicly apologize. And he's going to, to now he's going to sensitivity counseling for a year. Like, it just seems like we reacted a little too. Uh, I think in order, Vince, and uh, before I let you come in on this. Yeah. Bef- I think in this world right now that we're living in, we have to be able to, before we overreact and think everything is the biggest thing ever. Not everything is as big as it seems. We need to like take a step back sometimes and just realize maybe this guy just made a bad joke. Well, a lot of things definitely aren't as big as the internet makes them out to be. But part of the problem is, and this isn't just a sports problem, but we see it a lot in sports as well. It's the idea that, okay, they don't want to deal with the issue. Like if you're the Diamondbacks, you don't want anything to do with this. And even if they internally, they all look around at this and they're like, yeah, I mean, it was a bad joke and like, it looks a little weird and uh, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's just, it's an awkward thing. They don't want to publicly go to bat for it because it's not worth it for them. So they would rather just tell the guy, look, you're going to eat the bullet. We're going to put you through sensitivity training. We're going to do all this stuff because we just want to move on from this as quickly as possible. We don't want the discussion rather than fight for their guy and go, no, the public is wrong on this. They just, they just want to eat it. Sensitivity train though. Does he really need to go a year's worth of sense? Dude, he, he made, he made one off taste do rag comment. We really, he needs sensitivity. I don't think we're going to claim that this guy's racist. All this. He, he, he needs well, sensitivity training. I, I agree. Really? With you. It's, it's, that's, that's where to me, lot. like, it's like, you know, I, I, it's a poor tasted joke. And I'm only, I'm even okay with a, he called Marcus Stroman and apologized and I'm okay with a public apology, but Marcus Stroman after the game comes out on his social media, we will fight for justice. Dude, come on. If you clearly hear it, it's just a bad tasting joke. It's, it's clearly not this guy making a race comment about your race. He's not doing that. And if you listen to the clip, it's so obvious to hear that in the guy's voice. He's not, he's just making a joke. And we've all heard jokes like that before. I'm not claiming people as racist. So like Marcus Stroman to come out as this like social justice, like martyr that had to like be attacked on dude. Chill. Like sometimes you got to look at things and just be like, okay, this is probably just a bad tasting joke. I don't think this guy's going at me, but a year's worth of sensitivity training. 
Come on. Uh, well, again, it's a billion dollar corporation, man. Every baseball team is a billion dollars. And, and that's what they're looking at is, is it worth us to fight for this guy in a public way where, okay, people don't want to show up. Now people are talking about us on the radio or on podcasts and saying things about us at our management. True. And now like that's, that's what they're calculating is in the big picture. Is it worth it for them to fight? And all of these companies all universally agree no, and they fire these people, whether it's right or wrong. It's easier for them to fire these people and, and move on. That's the life you live. It's true. Uh, and to wrap up, just call the baseball game. You know what I mean? You're an announcer. You're, you're, you're there to tell us what's going on in the game and paint this visual picture that we're already seeing in front. Just call the game. We don't need your opinion on stuff. I guess that's the, that's the society we're living in now, where we don't need the play-by-play to give, guy to give us opinions. And I want to transition over to basketball because there's a lot to get into over there. And we're going to be joined by uh, by Jake Fisher. He's an author of the new book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever, which is such a fantastic concept on tanking. And, and a team that this kind of whole thing revolved around with the Nets, right? The Nets just finished off the Celtics in five games. And the Celtics were a non-competitor for those five games, if you watch the series. It's ironic because... The Nets had that trade about a decade ago with the Celtics, where the Nets, I believe, traded 14 billion first round picks. <laughs> it's a rough estimate, but uh, accurate. For accurate, Paul Pierce, accurate. for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to join the Nets. And who the hell would have thought? I think it's safe to say at this point, the Nets were going to be in an NBA Finals before the Celtics at the time of that trade. I think everyone in consensus was. <laughs> And with different guys, by the way, because they got nowhere close with the group that they traded for. Everyone in consensus, though, was so excited after that trade was made for the Nets because they're like, all right, the Nets will be a competitor. And everyone was excited for the Celtics because they were like, look at the future they have ready for. They really transitioned out of their star players really well there. And then now you advance 10 years later where the Nets beat the Celtics so bad that they had to change their entire front office. Now, Brad Stevens needs to be in the needs to be the GM. Danny Ainge resigns and the Celtics are still in a decent spot for the future. Don't get me wrong, but the Nets are, are going to be in the finals before the Celtics are going to be in the finals. Who would have thought different players and everything, but still you would have thought that trade was going to set you back forever. So you're on a collision course now for Nets bucks. This is a series for Giannis where, Hey man, go prove it. If you're one of those top dogs in the NBA, Go prove it. Now, it's going to be really damn hard because the Nets have three star players and, and really four max players. Now, now getting the max in the NBA is, I'm using that formula. Getting the max in the NBA is, is everyone gets the max in the NBA now. But I can tell you this. If Joe Harris were a free agent, he'd get the max from someone. He would. Yeah. Whether, oh, yeah. whether he's deserving or not is, is irrelevant right now. He would get the max from the Wizards, the Hornets, a team like that, because they would love a spot-up shooter like Joe Harris, who can go up for 30 in any game. You've got four of those guys on the Nets, so it's going to be pretty damn... I'm going Nets in six here. It's going to be hard for the Bucs to come out. They, they Could they do it? Yes. They have a much better shot than Boston had, but I don't see the Nets losing to anyone coming through. The team that everyone thought the Nets had a chance to lose to was Philly. Who's in trouble now? They're going to play Atlanta in the second round. And the key to that whole series is Embiid being hurt. Now, if Embiid's on the court, I don't think Atlanta stands a chance. How do you see Atlanta's shots if Philly 
First of all, what do you think about the Nets series? Again, I guess the, let's let's get to that first. Well, yeah. So Nets Bucks. I mean, the Nets are the team that I believe more because I'm in the same boat as you. Like playoff Giannis is a thing that I I just I have a hard time buying into it that he is the best player on a championship team. I just really do. He hasn't done enough, and it's it's not. It's honestly a bigger part of it is the defense. I don't think you see the defense from the same level of uh, from Giannis. And it's funny the when they picked up guys like Middleton. Do you expected the defense to improve at the Bucks, and it really didn't. Yeah, I mean, for them, the biggest key is Drew Holiday defensively, but he can only cover one of those three guys. So, and, four. and you lost Dante. Four. I put Joe Harris well, in that yeah, category. And, and four is fair. And uh, and Dante DiVincenzo is out for the Bucks for the rest of the playoffs. So you lost a starter. So that's a big deal for them too. So for the Bucks going into that series, yeah, like you can watch a series from a guy and they can lose, and you can know that that is an elite player. Like. I'm seeing John Morant and what he did against the Jazz. Yeah. That guy is going to be an elite player. There's no doubt. He's the guy 21. you build around. Yeah, that's that's a guy you invest in. Um, Damian Lillard and what he's done, and they're going to lose to the Nuggets, but that guy's an elite. He could be the best player on a championship He's got to get out of there, by the way. He does. He's got to get out of Portland. He does. And, and if I'm the, uh, we'll get into the Knicks really quickly coming up here, but that's the guy that you're targeting. That, that's the guy that you're trading the whole farm for. Everything. But, but let me let, let me hear more about what, you, what you're seeing. Yeah, so the, but that's the idea. So for Giannis, this is a moment where you can change that story because for now, I, I don't believe that he's that kind of guy. But if he beats the Nets and he's the driving force there because he's the guy that can give them the most problems. He's not gonna, though. They're, they're, the, the Nets don't really have an answer for him on defense, but there's a lot of teams in the NBA who don't have an answer for a certain star on defense and they just let him get his and they just stop everyone else around well, him. Yeah. And, and that, that's and, possible with the Bucks. They don't have that 1B. They just don't. And the Nets have one B, one C, one D. uh, Joe Harris, man, I I may be overdoing it with Joe Harris, but he's a two. And that's like what the the Nets are just so crazily built. They're so deep. And no one's beating them. Can you at least agree with me on that? Well, I'm going to still see what Embiid looks like before I say that they're going to beat the Sixers. So I can't do that yet. If Embiid is not close to 100% and he's playing, I mean, then you're still probably going with the Nets. But until then, uh, I'm going to wait on that. For now, do I think they're better than the Bucs? Yes, I think the Bucs are capable. But they got to prove things still. I mean, Chris Middleton's had good moments. He had that game-winning shot in the in the game against the Heat. Like, there are things about him that I like, but is he on that tier? And is Giannis, and to have questions about those guys being on that tier, they've been in the league long enough where you shouldn't be having those questions As anymore. a Sixers guy, how do we feel about the Hawks series? If Embiid's out, is it, st- is it, is it is the Hawks, can the Hawks push them? I think the, the Hawks could push him to six or seven. You really think so? I wow. think there's a chance, uh, definitely six, definitely six. I can see it without uh, Embiid because Embiid is such a difference maker and he's another guy that they just don't have an answer Let me for. tell you something. Ben Simmons has got to be the most, if I was a, a Sixers fan, Ben Simmons would be the most frustrating thing of all time because he's an elite defender. He's a six foot 10 point guard with handles. He can pass his vision degree. The fact that the guy just can't score. I mean, well, not even can't score. He just can't shoot. I mean, he would literally be Magic Johnson. Literally, if the guy could only have a moderate jump shot, the fact that the guy, oh my gosh, is that if Ben Simmons was had had, if Ben Simmons was a 40% shooter from the field. Yeah. And and that's, that's poor. If he was a 38% shooter from the field, you'd give the, you'd say sixers and five. They'd have the Hawks would have almost no shot. Well, yeah, Simmons. It's it's so funny to have this conversation with because that is life in Philly. That has been life in Philly from the moment they drafted that guy. It has been nothing but division. But here's the thing with him that that is so fascinating. It's like he has the ability to like watching Julius Randle, for example. Julius Randle will go to the net. He can do that consistently, and he'll do that every night. But Ben can do that and doesn't do it. 
So for him, why is it that he doesn't do it every other night? Like he he does it when he feels motivated, like public. He knows public stuff that goes on and that fuels him. He wants awards. And when he doesn't get those things that fuels him. But that's why he's not a reliable enough player that if Embiid's out, I believe that's a walk for the Sixers to get past the Hawks. Like, I think he can shut down Trey Young and call, cause a lot 1, of problems that way. Yeah. But, I mean, otherwise, it's just where are you getting all that other scoring? The Sixers are a better team, and ultimately, I think they'd win out. But, you know, without Embiid, it's going to take them much longer to do that where they could sweep with it if they have Embiid. And it could beat them up more, too, which is going to be a problem once they face the Nets. Now, I got I to gotta hit the Knicks here because the, the way that it ended, in, I thought there was no shot they were losing Game 5. After the comments from Clint Capella, being home, I thought they'd have a little more pride in at least win that game, and you just saw it the entire time. They couldn't score. The Knicks just could not score, and the Hawks aren't that good. The, the Hawks did everything in that game last night to let the Knicks win. They, re- they they did everything in that game to allow the Knicks to win. They they did. They weren't making their shots. They only scored 103 points. The Hawks were not dominant last night, and the Knicks just couldn't take advantage, and they just couldn't go come away with that game. Listen, here's what I need to say about the Knicks. This ain't the team. I I know that it's been fun and it's been exciting, but we'll go to a guy like Julius Randle, who is due for an extension, right? This is the last year of his deal. Big He's question. coming into the next year of his deal. Big you, question. No, no, not there's an answer. There, not, okay. You can't justify paying him. Now, if the season ended where it ended, at the end of the regular season, there was a no-brainer. You're maxing him out and extending him. The way he played in those... Se- in those five games, he was so bad, you can't justify extending him. You, I'm sorry, you can't. He was he was a non-factor on the court. Not even on a, let's say, it's no. not a full max, but you're giving him like two years. No, no. He was a non-factor. Complete non-factor. He looked terrible in the, in the game. He let the game get away from him. Horrible shot, shot selection in every single possession that he took. No. He can not be given an extension. And here's what the future is with the Knicks. I know everyone wants to fall in love with guys like Quickly and, and Barrett. And, and it's exciting and it's fun and it's great and everything. Be cautious, Knicks fans, with who you fall in love with. Because there's a lot of movement in the NBA. A lot of guys getting traded and wanting out of town. And, and you never know who's going to want out of town. The Knicks may need to take one of their young stars and use those guys to acquire one of the stars in the end. The Knicks don't have that star. Julius Randle right now is a three on a championship team. He's a three. Maybe playing at an elite level, he's a two. But he ain't a one. And no. at, the end of this, at the end of the regular season, you were willing to argue with me that he was a one. And he ain't. And he's proven that he ain't. Because this was a first round series against the Hawks. This wasn't the Eastern Conference Finals where the pressure is only going to mount from here. And if you as a Knicks fan expect them to give you more in the coming years, pressure is only going to get bigger, man. Now, I think the net, the Knicks kind of squandered. I, I think opening the series in the Garden was bad for them because the pressure was just too much on them. Hearing that crowd last Sunday, it was too much for this team. First time in, in eight years in the playoffs, but really in 20 years as a competitor, you felt it. You felt it. But the future here, what I'm doing this offseason, I'm letting Randall play out the last year of his deal. I'm extending Derrick Rose. Because Derrick Rose has proven to me that at 32 years old, he can still play and he's still an enforcer out there. And he is so damn mature. If you heard his comments in his response to Clint Capella, I'm bringing back New Orleans Noel because I loved what he gave me in the paint 
and he scared uh, Trey Young was neutralized when uh, with that floater when when he was in there. And then I'm bringing in more veterans around me, and I'm hoping to God that against Denver, Portland is done. I hope in the next game, Damian Lillard goes for 60 and Portland loses. So he's so frustrated that he asks out of town because the Knicks are the team that has the ammo to get him. He'd love the big lights. That guy deserves the big lights because he's one of the most underappreciated players in the NBA. And the Knicks could give three first round picks and Barrett and Randall or quickly or whatever they need to do to get Damian Lillard. Well, they could offer the things to Portland, but the question is superstars do have the choice of where they want to go to some degree. Why would he not? Damian Lillard, if the Knicks are now become, the Knicks have now become a destination in my, in my opinion, with the way I'm seeing it. They're, they're now, the Knicks are now a place that you've seen this fan base is going to rally and be on top. And if they're right there with the coach, I don't know why this would not be intriguing for Lillard. Well, it's the talent. I mean, is the team that he's going to with the Knicks, is that better than what he's got with Portland right now? It's about equal. Well, that's it's about equal. That's the tough sell. It's about equal, right? Because like, how many other stars? Rather play? That's your that's your challenge as the Knicks, right? Because at least with because with Brooklyn, you got all of those guys to come together. That was a joint decision by three people to pick that place. So unless he can go there in the same way with Kawhi and the Clippers and Paul George, unless he goes there and he goes and here's the guy we're going to sign in free agency that's going to play with me, we've made the agreement, or they can make another move and get somebody else in, or maybe he loves Julius Randle. But I, I don't think that's going to be enough versus McCollum. He he loves McCollum. So that's the kind of thing you're going to struggle with, though. You might have the assets for it. You got to hope that it's enough that Damian Lillard would want to make that jump. Before we move on into the next segment where I want to discuss the Naomi Osaka stuff, which is fascinating to me, and I'm going to tell you in fat percentage about the best restaurant I've ever been to. Ooh, so we will really? get to that before really? I have one question for you. Okay. Damian Lillard, blazer or not next year? I think he's a blazer and they change everything around him. Interesting. Interesting. Fire the coach. I can accept that. You put McCollum on the table. You go anything you have to do to get better. And you let Dame, I mean, Dame's on some level, he's going to be the GM. And you got to let him try to go to work and and see who he can recruit because people want to play with him. I mean, you see the tweets from actual NBA players. He's a a star. Everybody knows it. And he doesn't get the appreciation playing in Portland. That's that's obvious to me. No, and and the fact that we talk about him as much as we do is a testament to how great he is being out in Portland. Actually, it's insane. I mean, yeah, it's it's a massive credit to him because for the same way, like John Morant, people right now are like, oh, well, he's in Memphis and nobody cares. It's like, no, that's John Morant. I care about that guy. I want to watch him play and he's going to get to that level eventually. But for now, Lillard's at his peak. He's doing that and people want to see it. So people want to play with him and yeah, they got to change everything. They got to give up everything to to make him happy. Okay. So moving on, we're going to get into a little more of a serious segment next, but I think it needs to be talked about before that. I want to tell you about galaxy vinyl. New York groove is brought to you by galaxy vinyl, which is located in old bridge, New Jersey. Galaxy specializes in all automotive customization and is one of the leaders in the car detailing business. They offer many options like vinyl wrap, window tinting, caliber painting, and powder coating. Galaxy is the place to go if you want your car looking top of the line. So here's what you're going to do, Vince. You're going to head over to 1225 US Route 9 or give them a call at 732-527-4500. That's 732-527-4500 and they'll make your car. Look out of this world. I wanted to get into the Naomi Osaka stuff with Vince. Um, I appreciate you listening to New York Groove. Make sure you always rate and subscribe as always. Naomi Osaka is a fascinating tennis star to me. Now, uh, tennis is one of my guilty pleasures. I I love watching tennis. I I find it so fascinating. And 
Naomi Osaka is, if you're not familiar, one of the youngest, most bright stars in tennis, especially in women's tennis. I mean, she is young and dominant and she's Japanese and she's, she's a fantastic player. She really is. She did no other way of putting it. She beat Serena Williams two years ago in the final at the U.S. Open. She's incredible. Naomi Osaka came out at the start of the French Open this year and said that she will not be speaking to the media because to citing her mental health, that speaking to the media is not good for her mental health. And it's a tricky subject getting into this because I, I respect that decision. I do. Um, she's been very open and honest about her mental health and, and that's great for the sport and that's great for society. And I really do respect the decision that she made there. And I, I just have a problem with her not speaking to the media. I just do. I, I'm going to be that guy here. Uh, Naomi, you have an obligation as an athlete to speak to the media. You do. It's part of your job. The same way I kill Kyrie Irving for not speaking to the media. The same way I kill any athlete for choosing not to speak. Say what you want about Marshawn Lynch when he didn't want to speak to the media. Now, we don't know the actual reason why Marshawn never wanted to speak to the media. He came off as a clown and a silly guy and everything like that. Maybe it was his mental health. Maybe it was. And he didn't want to do it. Still showed up, though. And you know what? He showed up and he sat at the podium and every single answer to every single question was, I'm just here so I don't get fined. And we all found it funny and we laughed and everything like that. And it was, it was hysterical. The guy still showed up though. And now Naomi didn't want to show up. So first round of the French, the, the uh, opening interviews, she doesn't show up. And the tennis association said, you don't show up, we're going to fine you $15,000 a day if you don't show up. That's an obligation of yours. She said, all right. She said, if you're going to fine me 15 grand per day, I'm not going to play. And they called their bluff. They said, okay, don't play. They, 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 which, would you not have called their bluff? I would have. Oh, it's tennis. You have to. You have to. You have to. You need, tennis needs her speaking. They, they, people aren't going to watch the press conferences if they can't hear her. She's one of their stars. They called her bluff. All right, don't play. We're going to still find you. So she retired. Not from the sport. She retired from the tournament, which is what it's called in tennis. So I don't sound like a crazy person. Yeah. She was done. She was done not playing in the French. If it's for mental health reasons, I mean this in all seriousness, good for her. Really. Good for her for standing up and saying there's more important things than tennis to me. Really, I applaud that. If it's not, if this is to make a point, Naomi, you got to speak to the media. You're only as popular as you are in the world and as in the sport because of that media. Because they allow you to speak. And they asked... Serena and Venus, before I get Vince's opinion on all this, uh, they asked Serena and, v- and Venus about this, the, the other two stars in tennis, Serena and Venus Williams, the twins, uh, twins or sisters, the sisters, sisters, not twins, sisters about this. And I had a, con- I had a problem with both their comments. Venus Williams came out and said that speaking to the media never really mattered to her because she knows that she's better than anyone in the, the crowd of the media that she's speaking to and she could beat any of them in tennis. So what they have to say about her and to her doesn't really matter to her, which is the most asinine, ridiculous comment I think I've ever heard in my life. Why? As the media, me and you are considered the media. We've sat in press conferences before. Never for a moment have I sat in a press conference and thought I'm better than the guy at that sport when I'm asking him that question. Never have I even, I cover the Big East every year for a New York sports radio station every single year. Never for a moment 
have I sat in the press conference when Jay Wright or Jalen Brunson has been sitting up there and I've thought, I could dribble around him. <laughs> I could play with that guy. Have I thought, I can understand the game of basketball at the same level as Jay Wright or Mike Krzyzewski. I've been in a press conference with Krzyzewski. I've been in a press conference with Grayson Allen. One of the coolest things I ever got to do in the history of my sports radio career was after Duke beat UNC in the ACC semifinal in 2000, I want to say 18. I went into the Duke locker room when media availability was available and they're all getting changed and, and, and taking on the clothes. Oh, up. that was your highlight. They're, there you go. Okay. I mean, hey, do you? All the players are are getting ready to walk to the press conference, do a big press conference. They let media in the in the locker room. And I went in and I just sat down next to Grayson Allen, who's one of the closer to budding stars in the NBA. Now, not really a star, but he's a really solid player in the NBA, but he was a star in college. Yeah. Too. Oh, yeah. And for some reason, no one was at his locker. Now, he was changing his shoes. So I think people just didn't think you were allowed to sit down. But I was new in the industry and I didn't know any better. So I went and sat down next to Grayson Allen. I was like, hey, can I talk to you? He goes, sure. Me and him sat down and talked for 15 minutes because we were on the same age. We were both around 20, 20 years old. We both sat down and spoke for like 15, 20 minutes until he had to leave and walk to the press conference. And I walked with him to the press conference. It was the coolest thing I've ever gotten to do. And he gets so many people hate Grayson Allen, but I'll always- I'm among that crowd, by I'll, the way. I'll always love him though because it was the coolest thing I ever got to do in my career. It really was. And he, we just talked as two 20-year-old men about basketball. Never for a moment did I think that I could take that guy one-on-one or I could even understand the game at the same level that he can understand. Venus Williams, nobody at all in the media thinks they understand tennis like you do or could play with you on a course. No one. When you're 90 years old, you'll still beat me. I know that for a fact, okay? That doesn't mean we can't have opinions on the sport. Doesn't mean we haven't watched our entire lives and can't ask you questions, okay? So get out of here with that crap that the media doesn't matter to you because they're not as good as you. So the only people that can interview you are your sister or other players in the sport. And then her sister, Serena. The audacity in her comments. I don't know if you heard them. No, I didn't see them. The audacity where she said, I have no problem with Naomi, Naomi sitting. I have no problem with Naomi coming out of the, out of the tournament. Which, by the way, Serena, Naomi dropping out of, the, out of this tournament may be the only shot you had at winning the tournament. Now you might win because of Naomi dropped out. That's besides the point, though. She had no problem with it because she understands that some people are just not mentally as strong and can't necessarily handle that kind of pressure. Not as many people are as mentally strong and secure in their heads as myself in Serena. That's what she said. Not many people are as mentally strong as I am and can put up with it as I am. Mm-hmm. Really? That's your comment? Let me take you back to the 2018 U.S. Open. When you're not allowed to, if you're not a tennis fan, you're not allowed to have your coach in the stands coach you while the match is on. He's not allowed to say anything or make any hand signals to you. It's not allowed. Serena, the, 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 the judge at the tennis tournament claimed that the coach, that he, she was being coached. And she screamed and went on a temper tantrum. That, not, not at all. Are you kidding me? He's not coaching me. He's not coaching me. He's not coaching me. Two weeks later in an interview, the coach admitted he was coaching her. And she was receiving coaching. She said, uh, she threw a temper tantrum at the coat, at the, at the, at the ump. Temper tantrum. How dare you? S- and then she claimed on the court, which never gained any attention because why would it? That the only reason that he was, that this ref was accusing her of being coached was because she was a woman. Which was so false and so ridiculous, but that's what she claimed on the court. And she threw a temper tantrum 
crying, screaming. They disqualified her, and Osaka won the U.S. Open. That was Osaka's first tournament win. Serena, maybe think back to three years ago. And before you tell me that you're, you're just mentally stronger than everyone else. Not everyone can be as mentally strong as you. Really? You threw a temper tantrum when a call didn't go your way on a court and claim that the ref only made that call because you're a woman. And then your coach comes out two weeks later and says he was coaching you. So, I mean, these comments just aggravated the crap out of me. And if you're Osaka, I mean this genuinely. Power to you. But you can't go the rest of your career without talking to the media. You just can't. You're as popular as you are because of the media. Vince, how do you feel? Well, yeah, the, the coverage is too important to the sport, and that's why the leagues mandate it. They, they wouldn't do it if they don't care. If it wasn't worth it for them, why would they do it? It's good business. It's good business for everybody because the players get out there. Then, Because there's a whole ecosystem, right? It's, okay, you're doing the press conference. Then that press conference is going to lead to all sorts of videos getting blasted out on a billion different platforms, including your own. If you say something that's good for you and your brand, then you're getting articles written about it. You're on podcasts. And as a result of all of that, now people are tuning into your sport. Now you're competing with everything else that's out there and you're something that people see on their timelines. And that matters. That matters. Everybody, I mean, it's it's like 5 billion pigs suckling at 3,000 teats. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's a hell of an analogy. It's a beautiful yeah, visual. I love it. But, but that's what it is. I mean, you are fighting for attention and there's only so much that you can get from people. So you need your biggest stars to be available. Now, the question is, and and for her, if it's a mental illness thing, like dealing with depression and whatever, then like totally, I, I get it. But you got to find something that works. You if, if you have issues with the system, fine. But if it's written, if you're just calling in, if it's virtual, like whatever you got to do, you got to have some solution to be in front of, of cameras and in front of people asking you questions because that's what makes this whole thing go. Like, and people, one of the criticisms I've gotten that's bothered me is like people say, well, uh, these people can be uh, their own uh, like media stations. And they are. They totally are. She's probably got a couple like million followers on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. So great. But. They're not necessarily promoting tennis. You know what I mean? Like you got to, they're going to promote themselves and they also happen to promote tennis, but they've got other things in their brand. They're going to promote themselves. And so you've got to promote tennis as tennis. So when you're making the money that goes into this, Hey, if you're willing to not make as much money, great. Don't do press, but your, your winnings are not going to be the same as they used to be because you're not getting the same kind of draw. It just is what it is. It's crazy. And again, you got to find the healthy medium, but you have to speak. You just, it's part of the sport. It's part of the job. It really is. It's part of the job as an athlete. They might not, I know I've heard from great sources and we'll get to fat percentage in a second. I've heard from great sources out there that most majority of athletes despise talking to the media. They hate it. And that's fine, but they all do it because they all realize the importance of it. NFL players all speak to the media. Does that sport really need to get more popular? I mean, really? Do they need to mark? The NFL doesn't really need to market itself. It markets itself on its own. People tune in regardless of what. The league makes so many mistakes and people are still tuning in every single week. So for a sport like that, that mandates its players to speak in baseball and hockey and and, and all these different sports that mandate their players to speak, tennis ain't the most popular, but you still got to talk because tennis ain't going to get to that point ever. If you don't talk to the media, you just need to. Yeah. Okay. And even if it was, for example, the Marshawn Lynch thing, which you brought up, which is great. At least uh, he showed up. Yeah. And and that's the thing is now that's publicity. You know what I mean? And that helped the league. Exactly. That it, helped it was good the for league. the league. It was good for him and it was good for the league. He trademarked. I'm here so I don't get fined. Or at least he tried to. So 
it turned out great for him. Like, yeah. show up. And now he's one of the most popular retired players out there with his whole skills campaign and the, the stuff that he does with Conan. He's got a fan-controlled football team. He's, he's, he's got stuff going on. Yeah. So it, th- th- there is purpose behind all of this. We don't just do it because we want to bother you. There's purpose behind all of this. Something that has a lot of purpose in my life, fat percentage. So this week on Fat Percentage, uh, crazy, crazy. We still don't know. I still haven't been confirmed in the pre-show meeting whether or not Vince has a place that we're going to get to. Uh, hopefully it's better than Taco Bell. I've got I've got one this time, although that Taco Bell is a perfect 10 and I will I will die on that hill. We it's said not. perfection it, on the it, very first ta- episode. I actually, believe it or not, decided to go to Taco Bell after the show last week. Just to, okay. Just, okay. I love Taco Bell. Okay. Love it. Yes. Okay. 6.2. Okay. You can't sit down. Or you at the Taco Bell. You, you can't sit down. It's not, no. Taco Bell See, is, is not close to a 10. Place to place. Place to place. As no. far as fast food chains go. That's that's <laughs> actually wrong. It's factually incorrect. They yeah. all use the same ingredients, the same freeze-dried stuff. Every fast food place tastes exactly the same. Every franchise tastes the same. But the layout. No. The experience. No. McDonald's here and McDonald's in San Jose is the same McDonald's. Well, no, because they look different on the inside. And, and I haven't been to a Taco Bell before. You could press the menu no. and you had, you had a screen in front and I ordered my taco like that. So it was, I was very and I An iPad got your attention. I'm glad. Well, this is a I'm place. a simple man. I can guarantee you that this place is way, 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 way fancier than any Taco Bell you've ever been to. <laughs> I hope so. Okay. I went to a restaurant a few weeks ago, a few months ago, actually now, called Peak at Hudson Yards. Now, if you hadn't heard of Hudson Yards, it's this big, giant construction project that, that New York City decided to embark on like 10, 12 years ago, where they're going to build all these giant. This is actually a location where the Jets were going to build their stadium years ago when the Jets were thinking about moving out and building their own stadium. They were going to build a stadium on the west side of Manhattan, and the project fell through, so they decided to go with Hudson Yards. Big, giant skyscraper complex where there's a million different skyscrapers here. I think it's like 12 skyscrapers, right? And one of the ones they built is up already, and it's it's the tallest one already. It's the tallest one. It's wild. I'm going to give you a bunch of stats and facts about that building. How I discovered Peak. Vince, you ever scroll on the internet late at night? And, and you're, you're going back and forth and you're looking at these and you come across an article or something that they're building and you're just like, this isn't real. I'll believe it when I see it, but this, this can't be a real thing. Have you, you've got, you've seen that. Before, oh right? yeah. You see so much outlandish stuff out there. My, you go like, I don't know. My high school in my junior year of high school decided to go with iPads to, as to teaching the students. We learned on iPads, not paper and pen. Yeah. And shows how that much that worked because I write all my show notes on paper and pen still. So that really worked out for me. I really went with iPad. It worked out well for Taco Bell. for Exactly. What for sure. So <laughs> in class, obviously, as any good student would do. Sorry, mom. I would search things on Safari and just read articles and not pay attention in class. Again, sorry, mom and dad. They were paying for my education. But hey, I had a fun time. Yep. And them paying for my education led to me going to this restaurant. So it all went full circle. Um. I'm searching through and I'm reading about Hudson Yards. And this is in like, I want to say 2013. So I'm figuring out about about this for the first time. I'm reading and I'm going through and I see that they're planning on building a restaurant on the 101st floor of the highest skyscraper in Hudson Yards. The restaurant will be the second highest elevated restaurant on the planet above sea level. Woo. Second highest. Damn. Only, the only higher restaurant is in the world's tallest building in Dubai called the Burj Khalifa. It's the only higher restaurant above sea level. And they're planning this and it's going to be this four, five-star restaurant and it's going to be gorgeous and beautiful and they're showing the renderings of the views. But in reality, in 2013, I'm sitting there like, there is not a shot in hell. This thing's going to be real. There's no way. 
So uh, whatever, you move on with life and you, you go through college and you work at CBS and you do all the things that I did and you don't think this is going to come up and you see Hudson Yards start to come up and they're starting to build it. And I'm always thinking in the back of my head, there's no way this place ever opens up. There's just no way. They're not going to open up this crazy restaurant in New York. How? Who the hell knows? Lo and behold, last year, March 9th. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited because finally, finally, Peak at Hudson Yards is opening. Well, two days later, this thing called coronavirus happens and they have to shut the restaurant down. And it doesn't open up again until early March of 2021. So they almost delayed the opening for a year. So only about, I don't know, 20 people got to eat there in 2020. And then 2021, it finally opens. Let me tell you a little about Peak at Hudson Yards. Second highest elevated restaurant on the planet. Highest in the Western Hemisphere and North America and all that jazz. I was so afraid to go here because I've been thinking about this place for so long. And they say everyone online, the atmosphere is great and the views are great and this and that and the other thing. But the food is beyond not good, like below average. So that scared the crap out of me. Because I'm like, this restaurant can't have bad food. How could it, right? They're not going to put a Taco Bell on the 101st floor of this skyscraper. Well, that's exactly what you should do. Exactly. That's just me. So I'm terrified. Now, Peak is so exclusive and higher society, Vince. You need to go on your phone like you're waiting for concert tickets. At 9 a.m., 21 days before your <laughs> reservation, to get your reservation. <laughs> to book your time and your reservation. Okay. And you have to leave a debit card deposit or a credit card deposit yeah. just to get your reservation. So I do that. I go on 21 days in advance, put my credit card in, get my reservation. It's all going to happen. I'm finally going to eat at this place, right? I find a lovely lady to go with me to this place. Like, that's the craziest part of this. Now, so I've got questions about yeah, that. So there's a, lot that of, there's a lot to get into when it comes to, like, the surprising factors of this story. First, I'm actually going to go to this place. Second, this place actually exists and opened up. It wasn't like a myth in 2013 in some Reddit article that I read. This is a real place that's really going to open up. Third, a girl went with me to this place. It was all just miraculous. <laughs> so the day comes to go, and I'm, I'm just chomping at the bit. I could not be more. I'm on cloud nine. We get up to this place. You got to walk through a special entrance and you get on a special hidden elevator and it takes you like a two minute elevator ride all the way to the top and you walk out and it's just all windows all. And you're just, you're looking around and you're like, you, you almost can't believe what you're seeing. You, you, your reaction, your mind is just, holy hell, how, what you're just, you're looking this way and you see Philadelphia and you're looking this way and you see the garden. And here was the craziest experience of the whole thing. And just for reference, if you see Hudson Yards when you're driving, because everyone in New York listens to this podcast, I'm assuming it's the majority of New Yorkers. There's a building in Hudson Yards with a little lip thing hanging out, and you always wonder what is that? That's the highest outdoor um, observation deck on the planet. That little lip thing, and you can go out there after you eat at Peak. Just for reference to all of you, Peak, the restaurant, is higher than that observation deck. So when you're seeing the building and you see that little observation deck thing hanging out, Peak is a few floors higher than that observation deck. Just for reference, everyone sees the Freedom Tower in New York and the Empire State Building. Those are the two popular ones, right? We were looking down at the Freedom Tower. That's how high we were. Oh, my God. Looking down. 
we were looking down at the Empire State Building, which was far closer. Literally looking down. Miraculous. I was blown away by this place. Now, my fear and the whole thing. So, obviously, when we're coming to environment, um, the ambiance of the place. And again, this is a place, Vince, that you can really, it's really only like a date place. You can't really go there with a bunch of your boys. It doesn't really, it's not, a, it's not like a steakhouse. You can't really go there with like a bunch of friends. doesn't really, it doesn't, I guess a bunch of girls could maybe, but it doesn't, it's not, it's a, this is a date place. Yeah. Right. Views, amazing. Ambiance, amazing. Dress code, fantastic. The whole place is up notch 10. Your Taco Bell. Okay. <laughs> My fear is the food. Because now we're sitting down at the table and we're having that normal date conversation and I'm sitting down and in the back of my head, the only thing I can think of is the food's going to suck. The food's going to suck. The food's going to suck. It's going to ruin this whole place. We order the food. Unbelievably fantastic. Which goes to show, don't read all the reviews you see for things online. Experience great things for yourself in life and judge them on your own. That's why we have fat percentage. So we can tell you, so when you read the reviews of Peak online and you decide, I'm not going to go here. The food sucks. You can listen to fat percentage and realize that peak gets a 9.7. It's that high. I'm willing to say I have yet to go to a better dining out experience in my entire life. And I eat out a lot and it, I've never been to any place better, more fancy, more views and ambiance of the place, more, dare I say, romantic, more food, just oozing in your mouth. I've never experienced anything better. I had the steak. Oh, fantastic. We got a little wine. We get some monkey bread brought to the table. She got chicken. It was fantastic. 9.7 on my, now according to you, still not as good as Taco Bell. No, not quite. On the scale, I advise, it's going to cost you a few bucks to go to this place. I advise anyone, anyone to go to this place. It's that incredible. And I, I know for a fact that when you go in for your show later on CBS tonight, you're going to notice this place and text me later and be like, that is really where you went? Holy crap. Well, I'm going to have to look for it now for sure. Now, if I'm looking for peak, is it P-E-A-K, like mountain peak? Yes, literally that, because it's so damn hot. Yeah, okay, that's what I figured, because otherwise you could have P-I-Q-U-E. We're talking over tw- like. over 1,200 feet above sea level. Yeah. That's how, literally looking down on other skyscrapers. It's it literally, I'm, I've never experienced anything as great as this. It was so incredible. Wow. So incredible. Let me hear about your place. Is it Burger King? Uh, no, this was, uh, well, I don't know. I was in Wildwood. I was in Wildwood, New Jersey. Memorial Day weekend. Ordered a couple of crab cakes. Drank way too much around that. But the crab cakes kept me alive. And uh, for 27 bucks, place called the Fish Factory. Just a little, you know, nothing, nothing incredibly fancy, but it was in Wildwood. They got my order fast. I was a satisfied man. So, and what are we ranking this as? Uh, I'm gonna rank that as ooh. I mean, it's not quite Taco Bell. I'm gonna say it was a. Uh, I was. A, I mean, for seafood, it was pretty solid. I'm gonna give it an eight. Eight. You you gotta fix these scores. I gotta man. I gotta take out yeah too many solid numbers and and just you're giving places way too much credit than they deserve. <laughs> but I advise anyone then go to uh, Fish Factory, which the, is an eight. Apparently, the Fish Factory, yeah. Or go to Peak. But remember. 21 days in advance, exactly three weeks in advance. You got to get on there like a ticket queue and wait for your spot. Yeah. yeah, I go there, man. It's it's incredible. I want to tell you about the card barn. Remember when we were kids and we collect baseball cards and by a certain age, you'd come home from school one day and your mom had thrown them all out. Well, 
Guys, I hate to tell you, you're going to be really mad at your mom right now because she may have thrown away tens of thousands of dollars. The card collecting craze is booming right now. Cards that are in great, poor, any condition at all are being valued at tons and tons of money and the card barn is willing to buy or sell any of those cards. And you can build up this profile where you can be making a ton of money off of your old cards. The Card Barn is Staten Island's only premier trading card shop where they buy and sell cards for you to grow your collection or sell some off so you can start saving for that yacht or saving for your next losing AC trip. Head over to 29A Nelson Avenue on Staten Island and check them out. Get involved in the game because there's money to be made. That's 29A Nelson Avenue or check out their webpage at The Card Barn NYC. We're joined by a very special guest, Jake Fisher, the author of a new book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me. How about you? Good, good. Um, I'm fascinated by your book. I saw it advertised online, and the to write a book on tanking is just fascinating to me because I think it's an object in sports that we're all kind of obsessed with. We all have talked about it countless times over the last few years. Where's the inspiration for this? Where's the inspiration to write a book on tanking? Yeah, I I grew up covering the six or I grew up a Sixers fan, started covering the leagues for Liberty Ballers at SB Nation the same time I was at Slam magazine as a as a college intern and working my way up there and I was in school in Boston. And you know, people forget Inky traded Drew Holiday to New Orleans that 2013 draft night. It was the same exact night that Boston traded KG and Paul Pierce to the Nets. So, you know, there was Rob Hennigan in Orlando and Phoenix was trying to tank. I felt like being in Boston covering the Sixers as well, I was kind of in the eye of the tanking hurricane, if you will. And it felt like something that I really had a good grasp on. It kind of followed me throughout my career and kind of wanted to pay ode to the years that brought me here and the people that I've gotten to talk to you know, over those years since. So the, the Sixers are to blame for all of this is what you're saying? Are the Sixers the one who, are they, are they the genesis of tanking? Not really. I mean, tanking really goes all the way back to 1984, actually. The whole reason we have a draft lottery is that the Rockets tanked 16 of their last 21 games in that 1984 season to, in order to get in the position to take Akeem Olajuwon. Before that, it was, well, that draft, it was a coin flip between the worst team in the West and the worst team in the East, and David Stern didn't like that. And then he institutes the lottery in 1985, which, of course, brings that frozen envelope with Patrick Ewing. And they flash forward 30 years later as Adam Silver is taking over uh, for David Stern. What does he inherit but the tanking Sixers? But even then, Philly and Orlando and Boston, they were all kind of copying OKC. They saw what the Thunder did with Kevin Durant Russell Westbrook and James Harden from 07 to 09. They made the finals in 2012. And who do they run into but the Miami Heat, who are also you know comprised of multiple all-stars from the top five of the draft with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. So all these teams just fought with all those compounding factors. Let's punt a couple years. Let's wait out this Heat dynasty. We'll get the next generation of stars in this 2014 draft, like Joel Embiid and Andrew Wiggins. It was really hyped at the time. And Julius Randle was in that top tier. And, you know, we'll get those next generation of stars to compete with Miami once, you know, they start to fall off the map a little bit. It's it's fascinating because it seems like more often than not, if you don't have that superstar, it seems the other way to go is to tank. There's no one that's willing to be the average team that sneaks in and try and make a run. Everyone's just immediate to let's just tank and get a superstar. Has it worked, though? Because 
there's a lot of instances like you just remembered that you just said, OKC, the Sixers, where it seems to have worked. You know, the Sixers are a perennial one to three seed now winning 50 games a year. So I guess you can credit that to working. Is that what is that what you're getting at? Or does it not work until you win a championship? So if you talk to even like the smartest people in the NBA, the Daryl Morey's of the world, they will say to you that entering every year, the best the team with the best actual odds of winning the title only maxes out around five or six percent. Um, from there, I mean, as teams get whittled down, I saw five thirty eight the other night had the Sixers at a twenty two percent chance. Now that they're in the playoffs and have their bracket and everything, that's still a really low percentage, right? The goal, I think, of all these smart teams, the teams that are big game hunting, is like you said, to put your position yourself in position to be a contender for multiple years. All due respect to the Toronto Raptors. I don't think the goal of the tank is to, you know, make one run at the title and then fall out of the picture. It's to be up there and 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 give yourself a chance to win it year after year after year. And I do think Philly's done that. I do think Phoenix has done that with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And of course that draws the attention of Chris Paul. You know, Boston was there before everything fell apart with Kyrie Horford and Hayward, but they drafted Tatum and Brown, brought in three more all-stars and they made the conference finals year after year. So clearly I think there's dividends to the strategy. That's where I think you're correct. I think that's what the the goal is for teams. It's to get competitive and then draw the superstars. It's kind of what the Nets did, although they didn't intend it because they didn't have any other draft picks. But if you see what the Nets did, they built up their entire roster. They drew themselves into this competitive kind of team. And then you bring in Durant and Kyrie and Harden because those guys are now attracted. It's kind of what the Knicks are doing now. And that's what I think tanking is about, to be honest, because the Sixers have been able to do that too. You couldn't find a soul that wanted to play in Philadelphia prior to the Embiid and Simmons era. So I think that that's what you're getting at, right? That's the goal at the end of the day of tanking is to be able to become a destination and then you go for the chip. Yeah, because I mean, look at the Rockets right now. They had James Harden for eight years. They did everything they could to tailor the entire organization around him. He still decided, I want to leave and go to Brooklyn. And Houston is, you know, a top five media market, really, in, in the entire country. They're not competing with L.A. and New York and whatnot. If you're not the Lakers, who they're all heavily in the book because they were the worst team record-wise in the NBA from 2012 to 2017. And they still end up getting LeBron in free agency regardless. And then Anthony Davis wants to come back. I mean, the Knicks... they just taste this glory right now. They're only a taste of it. They're only in the first round. And there's all this talk about what free agent can they get, blah, 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 blah. If you're Philly, even if you're Houston, if you're Orlando, if you're Detroit, especially the OKCs and Milwaukee's of the world, you've got no choice to get an all-star through the draft. If if you want one in free agency, just like Phoenix showed with with Chris Paul, obviously that was by trade, but you get the point. If you want one in the off season, he's only going to join you if you have an all-star already in tow. It's true. Um, so does tanking work? That's that's the that um, am I gonna get that answer by the end of your book, or do you have the answer for me now? Does tanking work? I think so. I, I think it can work. I think that's that's I think that's the more accurate answer, right? Like there are certain teams that don't stick to the formula and pivot. Like the Kings are all over the book because they got the Marcus Cousins at number five, thinking he was the guy. He only fell to them at five because of the interpersonal, you know, disciplinary type stuff that ultimately plagued Sacramento anyway. And they never were, were bad enough to get complimentary pieces around. And they're taking Jimmer for debts and Nick Stauskas instead of, you know, 
drafting Joel Embiid and pairing him with Ben Simmons or drafting Jalen Brown and pairing him with Jason Tatum and so on and so forth. So I think the teams that do it well, it absolutely can work. Jake Fisher is our guest, the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. You can order the book on Amazon. Jake, um, going to the NBA playoffs now, who are you? I don't see the Knicks going further than the second round if they get past Atlanta. Who do you see as, are there only, is the NBA still in that spot where there's only three or four competitive teams that really have a shot? Or are there teams like Dallas now that can run through and maybe make it make some noise? I don't know if Dallas is a legitimate title contender, but I do think there's more teams than three or four. I, I think any of Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Philly can get out of the East. I do think Philly has obviously the easiest path if they can handle New York or Atlanta. You know, Milwaukee and Brooklyn are going to battle each other in the second round, and then you know, the, the corpse of that team is going to have to go against Philly. And then out, out West, I mean, I think Utah's no slouch, even though they dropped game one to Memphis. We see them, you know, have a pretty convincing win with Donovan Mitchell back last night. I mean, I think the Suns are no joke, especially if Chris Paul can, you know, return the form. I hope, uh, um, I hope, uh, he can, can get back into form and, and really be a contributor like he has been all year. I think, uh, the Lakers obviously are there. I think, um, I think Denver and Portland could even like, upset one of those teams, but I really think there's a three teams out West. It's the Lakers, um, the Suns, the jazz, and you got three teams in, uh, in the East that we talked about. So that's six teams. It's more than three or four. It's better than years past because we were, we were in a weird rut. I mean, there were four years in a row where we had Cavs warriors. It was just every, you kind of knew going into the, even the preseason, what the final matchup was going to be, which kind of sucked for the league. Even though the NBA is this league that's built on storylines, you still want to have, you know, a chance at at a, at a different matchup going into the year. Um, so Dallas kind of did the tanking right, right? Because this offseason or next offseason is the big free agent class. They're going to be a top contender, no? Yeah, I mean, the Mavericks tanked for Luka Doncic. And Absolutely. It and it worked. And, you know, they, they, they swing for Kristaps, which that's obviously going to be uh, a big monkey wrench moving forward. He's got a, everyone in New York has kind of been keeping their eye on the Maverick situation, right? To look at those picks that they're going to be getting back. And obviously they, they jumped up pretty high here from where they were in the, in the middle of the year. They were around 11th, but I think the long-term prospects of Christoph Porzingis, I think the Knicks, I think Knicks fans are probably pretty happy with how that situation unfolded. And I think that will also play a factor in who they get in free agency. I know they're going to look at John Collins. They'll probably look at Rashawn Holmes. They'll look at some other people. Tim Hardaway Jr. is a free agent too. So uh, yeah, the, the Mavs have an interesting position here on what they could do for this offseason to, to really push themselves into that true title contender sphere. You're right. Speaking of the Knicks, um, they win game two last night. We're recording this interview a week ahead of time, but they, they win game two last night at the Garden. And did you see what the fans did after that game, like almost parading across 6th Avenue? Uh, is that, that kind of weirded? Because I, I got the sense of like, act like you've been there before. I know you haven't. But, you know, act like you've been there because they, they, I thought they handled themselves terribly. Like the fans are going absolutely crazy. Like they just won game seven in the finals and all they did was even the series up and go back to Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, look, in New York, I'm from Philly originally. I went to school in Boston. I live in New York now, right? I lived here for six years. I've got a real understanding, I think, of all these sports markets. And the one thing that separates the three of them is that the Knicks fan base in particular, 
bunch of lunatics in a lovable way, right? Like, I mean, dancing in the streets, whatever. I think it's worth it. They've been, you know, bamboozled by James Dolan for years and the ownership management dynamic with Bill Jackson and Steve Mills and all this stuff. To have a team in place that it looks like it has upside, you win a game, you get home court, you win a game in front of that fan base, you're going to Atlanta, a team you're confident you can win at the Hawks, screw it. Why not dance in the streets? You've been out of the playoffs for almost a decade. You might as well take the opportunity to have some fun. We were all pent up inside for 18 months. I'm all, I'm all, I'm all supportive of it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, to close out, um, you mentioned all the cities you've, you, you've lived in, covered in, worked in, and there are three major sports markets that we all kind of like have their opinions on their fan bases. Uh, I, I'm going to need this from you. L- get, rank these cities, cities from you when it comes on sports fan bases, New York, Boston, Philly, because they've all got their interesting traits, but I got to know from someone that's experienced all three of them. Where do you rank those three? So I think it's different by sport. Um, but I, cause as much as the Patriots, are like this dynasty and Tom Brady is a religion. It's not the same like bleed diehardness, I think, in Philadelphia. But baseball in both those cities has such a history that obviously the Phillies were amazing from 08 to 12, and then they've kind of struggled a bit. I don't think the Philly market can ever touch those teams there. Basketball, you know, I think it's a pretty even playing field, honestly. I mean, every single city, New York, Philly, Boston, they all say, it's different here. We're blue collar. We're tough. It's just a different kind of shade of the same color in a, in a certain sense. <laughs> that is a, that is a fantastic point. Jake Fisher, author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. You can order the book on Amazon. Anywhere else we can find this book? Barnes & Noble? Is that even still a thing anymore? Um, where, where else yeah. can we can we go out and find this book? And uh, tell us a little more about the book, uh, closing out. Uh, uh, what, do you, what do you want people to get out of this thing? Yeah, you can get it on Barnes and Noble, bookshop.org if you want to support a local bookseller, my publisher Triumph Books, anywhere really books are sold. And you know, the selling pitch is, pitch is this. And I talked to over 300 people for this book, players, agents, coaches, executives. The book's 300 pages long, and I think every page is literally loaded with new reporting, original details from transaction stuff to draft rumors to infighting within rosters and locker rooms and agents and executives and all that type of drama. There's new info on every single page that you're not going to find anywhere else. So that's my pitch. And I, you know, I really think that uh, anyone who buys it who's an NBA fan, you're not going to be left disappointed for all that new type of stuff you're going to be getting. Book is in route on the way to my house, and I'm excited to read it. Jank, Jake, thanks for giving us time here. We really appreciate it. I appreciate the time as always. Thank you. Thank you once again for listening to episode three of New York Groove. I want to thank all the listeners and all the people that have subscribed already. If you're new to the show, please feel free. Rate, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your grandma. Subscribe, rate to the show. I want to thank Vince Quinn, my esteemed award-winning producer. And I want to thank Jake Fisher for joining us and introducing his new book about the NBA. Some food for thought, Vince, when we're on our way out. Just think, this whole world we're living in, we might just be a kid on a different planet playing My Sims and none of this matters. And I'm really scared for the day that kid discovers girls. Once again, remember everyone, either get busy living or get busy dying. Thank you for listening to episode three of New York Groove. I'm